I think Colonel is the proper way of addressing me, Captain. No rank is above strict adherence to the rules of engagement. Rule 2, Article 4. Unauthorized forces shall be shot on sight. You are unauthorized. In fact, you ruined our ambush. Nearly half the enemy team got away. Carter. I've never been real big on rags. Is this familiar to you? No, sir. They are familiar to me. Welcome back to Delta. <laughs> we did like three Delta flyers back to back to back. Yes, in the span of one week. Yes. Welcome back to Stargate Weekly. I'm Stuart Hollis, and I'm Thad Hate. This week we're talking about season three, episode nine, "Rules of Engagement." Well, is that the proper procedure? It is tonight. Okay. It originally aired on the 19th of August, 1999, and was directed by. It was directed by. William Garrity, which is, I assume, how his last name is pronounced, uh, he directed 12 episodes of SG-1 that we've seen so far. He's directed Broken Divide, Enigma, Thor's Chariot, and Family. Uh, He, his most notable career stuff, according to IMDb, is he was a director and cinematographer for MacGyver. Oh, nice little tie-in there. Yes. It was written by Terry Curtis Fox. This is the third of three episodes that she wrote. Uh, The first two were from last season, Prisoners and Secrets. Uh, She's written a bunch of TV, uh, most notably Diagnosis Murder and Hill Street Blues. I have never seen any episode of either of those. You never saw Diagnosis Murder? No. I'm aware Uh, of it and Hill Street Blues, but I've never seen any. I've never seen Hill Street Blues either. Well, that was before our time. Sure. Diagnosis Murder, like, my family was obsessed with that show in the 90s. Our synopsis from TV Guide. The Stargate team visits a planet where soldiers are engaged in a civil war. Eh. Yeah, no, it's mostly wrong. <laughs> they do Star- visit a planet. Yes. <laughs> the Stargate Wiki goes with SG-1's efforts to retrieve SG-11 thought to be MIA gets them stunned and captured. They work out that the SG team, in quotes, is actually made of slaves who work for Apophis to invade Earth. That's more correct. Well, that's a very interesting sentence structure because it doesn't really sure. work. Slaves who work for Apophis to invade Earth. Anyway, uh, SG-1 must convince them that Apophis is dead and to stop them for, from carrying out their mission. Again, the sentence structure, not the best. But it is more correct. It's definitely more correct than TV Guide. Like, my only nitpick with their synopsis in this instance is that it makes it sound like SG-1's entire mission from the get-go was to find SG-11, and that's just not the case. No. But they did find out what happened to SG-11. Yes, they did. So, thank you for 
tying that up for us yeah. writer and director mostly writer yeah the director probably didn't have that much to do with that so they lost another uav yeah like these are these things aren't that cheap now we're understanding why it's such a high line item right I mean, I was going to say that they don't have that much of the budget left over after they turn the lights on, so they can't just like keep throwing these things away. I was gonna, I was gonna ask, how much does a UAV cost compared to turning the lights on? <laughs> well, since it was what like a billion dollars just to turn the lights on in this place something or something like, like that, that. Yeah. like I mean, you're like the UAVs that they're using probably cost. Let's just ballpark it at half a mil to a million dollars a piece. These things are always expensive. I think, yeah, I mean, like, the old-school Predator drone, which apparently, like, we don't use anymore. Mm-hmm. I don't know entirely when this happened, exactly. Like, no one made a big deal about it. It's been superseded by, I'm sure, like, eight different generations of drones. But back in the day, they cost a cool four mil. So this little guy, we'll call it a quarter to a half mil. Okay. Probably for, like, for the, the little UAV. But that's still way more money than they should be willing to just throw away all the time. You'd think. But, I mean, conversely, what's the cost and expense of sending a rescue team after, you know, an SG scout division or something? So, like, if, if they did it all manned, they wouldn't be able to cover nearly as much ground, gather nearly as much intel, and there's the risk of capture and death. So, in the balance it's worthwhile but it just sure seemed like a lot of these get uh, destroyed yes i think we're at th- at least three now that we that we know of because there's uh, the one from what well, there was the one in that eris buck destroyed yeah yeah so there's dead man switch there was this one and then the uh the with the mushrooms oh yeah that we know of there could yeah, be pl- yeah, yeah, there, i'm yeah. sure there were plenty others yeah so they're on the planet looking for this downed uav when they hear gunfire weapons fire because they hear guns and staffs mm-hmm. and they go to investigate what's going on they see another sg team pinned down and they try to raise them on the radio and get nothing and i'm pretty sure that from what we see we do only ever see four sg members down in the valley mm, okay if i'm wrong tweet at us at stargate weekly and yeah. like throwing a screenshot where we can see like eight of them or something before SG one gets ambushed. Yeah, obviously once they pop up out of the ground. Oh yeah, no, there's you know twenty of them, but I, I think that this just goes to show that SG one isn't only good at ruining their own ambushes. <laughs> yeah, you know, they'll they'll find a way to ruin anybody's ambush. I mean, it's what they do. Yes. So our heroes get gunned down. And there's dramatic music, and it's made to think, like, it's made to be, like, we actually think they're dead. But, like, they were clearly not actually bullets, because we see the little red flashes around them when they hit. So, did anyone watching this for the first time actually think that our intrepid heroes were dead? Especially in the first two minutes of the episode. Right. Like, if this was the end of the season, and the the end of the episode at the end of the season, then maybe... Maybe. Because, yeah, sure, we see the red flashes, but zats don't don't splash any blood when they hit you. Mm, yeah, but you also see giant burning holes in people when zats hit them. From a staff weapon, not a zat. Oh, zat. Yeah, you're right. Good call. Yeah. I don't know why I said that. Like, you know, we don't know yet why these guns are shooting red bullets, 
but we do know they're taking our heroes down quite easily, and they're sure getting shot a lot. So, no, I did not think they were dead. But if, like I said, if this was the last, like the very end of an episode at the very end of the season, then I still probably wouldn't think that they were dead, but I would be on more pins and needles. Hmm, okay. Our heroes wake up, and they all have headaches, apparently. And Carter has, like, a cut on her face, and I don't know where it came from. Yeah, that was weird. Maybe... Okay, we do see that there are more in the beginning, because we see some get gunned down, and then we see four actively, like, well, doing stuff after well, that. Well, we see, but does SG-1 see? I'm thinking of, like, I was thinking of from SG-1's perspective. Possibly f- not. Yeah, because I feel like if SG-1 was there, like, it must be SG-11, but why are there six of them? Yeah, okay, possibly not. Anyway, another soldier wanders in to tell them they're all in big trouble, and they can't talk because they're dead. But he can tell them that they're in big trouble? Well, no, Is he's it talking not to the dead like a problem, too? No, 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 no. Like, we find out later from Captain Rogers that with the, like, in, within the rules of engagement, the dead are not to speak unless given, unless given a direct order. In this case, this is just like some guy talking. He's not giving them orders. Okay. He also calls Daniel Four Eyes, which is weird. Yeah. You know, I have never in real life heard someone use that. I don't. I I mean, I, I've worn glasses since I was, like, seven or eight or something. Like, since I've been a kid. Uh, or since I was a kid. And if anyone ever did call me that, it really didn't stick out. I think probably because it's so prevalent in pop culture that, like, I wouldn't have a direct memory of anyone calling me that because it probably didn't go any further than them being just like, ah, four eyes. And it's being like, well, that made me sad for five minutes. Like... Yeah, it's definitely a thing that you hear in TV shows, you read in books, etc. But I don't think I have ever heard someone actually use that. Yeah. And like I said, if if anyone ever said it to me, I I don't remember. It all just gets like lumped in in the same category as all the pop culture stuff, so whatever. It's even a it's a weird thing. Like it doesn't even make a lot of sense. Not really. So they get hauled off to meet Captain Rogers. Kyle, not Steven. I was wondering. Yeah. Steven would have been cooler. Yeah. He tells our intrepid heroes that they are dead until 1,400 hours. I think it was. Maybe it was 1,500. Doesn't matter. They're dead for a while. Yeah. And no one at any point comments on the fact that, hey, we're all, like, 22. Yeah, seriously. And you're all not 22. And one of you has, like, the head emblem of the first prime. (laughs) Yep. And Jack is, like completely not 22 like daniel well uh, michael shanks wasn't that much older than 22 at this point actually but but daniel like could pass for 22 sam she would be an old 22 but she could pass for in her 20s she might have might also have been her in her 20s at this time uh but like no one's mistaking jack for anything close to 22 well i don't know about you but I'm feeling 22. Nice. I'm not, and I wasn't when that song came out, because I was already over 22. It was more than 22, but he was definitely in his 20s. Amanda Tapping was in her 30s. He was just barely in his 20s. He was born December 1970. Okay, so he was 28. 
or 29. Yeah. Okay. Well, no, this is in August, so he was 28. And Amanda Tapping was born in August. Of 65. Yeah. Yes. I just looked so, her up. So she was in her 30s. She could yes. pass for late 20s at this point. And, like, in a stretch, you know, you're not paying that much attention. Okay. But gray-haired Jack, no. Yeah. She was just about to turn 34. Yeah. Well, presumably it was filmed a few months earlier. She was still basically just about to turn 34. Yeah. Just saying. It sure. was presumably not filmed in August of 1999. They had a crack editing team. They could slap these things together in no time flat. I mean, I do kind of believe that, but I still don't think it was filmed in August. <laughs> anyway. Yeah. But yes, the fact that Teal'c is wearing the emblem of the first Prime is should have like tripped off some red flags there. Or even just having a head emblem at all. Like, they really should have been, like, more keyed in on the fact that... Because we find out later that all of their Jaffa Masters had left months earlier. He said they had been there for five cycles. Who knows what that is? Because it's definitely not five years. No, because uh, SG-11 wouldn't have existed to be captured five years ago. Right, exactly. And so, I guess five months... Or five something else entirely. Yeah, but because it's like everything else that they tell us sure makes it sound like they've been there about a year, but Apophis hasn't been dead that long. I don't like the timeline doesn't quite square for Jafal me. Jafal Masters could have disappeared, should, could have stopped coming before Apophis died, because when Apophis died, he was like very much on the ropes and, you know. He might have not have been able to check back with his little training people. Yeah, but it certainly has, like, you know, they have not been there any longer than two years. Yes. The idea that and Apophis... probably less than two years. You're right. It's probably about know, a year. Yeah. And because, well, when did they say SG-11 went MIA? It was, it was on the order of months. Yes, it was. So... Okay, five months. It just it just feels like everything they say makes it seem like they had been stuck there longer. But they're in their 20s, so time flows differently. SG-11 went, were declared MIA eight months before. SG-11? Oh, they were declared MIA eight months ago on P89534. What would they be doing here? Okay, yeah. So they've been there, let's say, a year. Okay. Maybe ten months. Because like, when they got there, SG-11, I don't think, was there. Like, they were put on the planet first to start training, and then SG-11 showed up. Okay, yeah, so. But still. Yeah, yeah, yeah. enough time spent dealing with time. <laughs> we don't have the time. Mmm. Nice. I did like the little bit of back and forth when they were being escorted from the dead tent to the captain's tent about, like, what's the deal here? Who are all these people? They're not... SGX isn't anything that we do. Maybe it's Mayborn. And I'm totally willing to believe that Mayborn has a private army. I totally would believe that Mayborn has a private army. And I wouldn't put it past him to do, like, exactly this sort of scenario. Mm-hmm. Like, from the opposite perspective, like, you know, like, we need you to, like, we need a bunch of kids, like, cadets, to train as Jaffa so that we can enhance our ability to, you know, kill Jaffa when we go and steal the technology. I mean... Later this season, we won't see that Mayborn has a private army, but we will see that he has his own private, like, Stargate team. Yes. I love that episode. Yes, it's a very good episode. But we're talking about this episode. 
we are talking about this episode. And we find out that corn and cotton are indigenous to North America. <laughs> and that information could save your life someday. <laughs> yeah, like I was telling you before we started rolling, uh, I actually... I had to like restrain myself from basically just like like writing down every single spoken word in this whole oh, episode yeah. because so much of it is gold. I love this episode. I've seen this. Ep- I've seen it probably ten, fifteen times. Oh yeah, easily. And we get a lot of like juicy stuff that comes back to us later. Mm-hmm. We find out that they collect all the intars and hold on to them for later use. Like I feel like they don't use them nearly as much as they should. Do they use them? Other than um, in the one with the cadets, do they use them? It's literally called cadets. Is it called cadets? (laughs) No, that's yeah. Wait, really? There is absolutely an episode called cadets, and I'm pretty sure it's this one. Is that? I don't remember an episode called cadets, and I don't think that one is called cadets. It's proving ground, but the the episode with Grace Park is called his proving ground. I don't know the names of the other cadet actors. Yeah, and unfortunately, if I if I look up SG One episode cadets, <laughs> I get all these hits for proving oh, crap. Okay, I have the Stargate Wiki up right now. I can easily prove that there is not an episode called Cadets. I swear there was. There is not. Okay, fine. I was wrong. There is not an episode called Cadet either. Okay. But no, they like they definitely do use the Intars in Proving Ground, but I feel like they should be using them out in the field more. Yeah. Why not? Yeah. Like, you know, like the, the Intars have actual sights, unlike the Zat. Mm-hmm. Daniel could carry that instead of the Zat, and then he would <laughs> still have a non-lethal option. But he wants to be an archaeologist who carries a gun. He could be an archaeologist that carries a gun. It's just the gun stuns people. Mm. So I would be remiss... If I did not point out that Captain Rogers is played by Aaron Craven, he will return as Captain Rogers in a later episode of SG-1. No, 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 no. He'll play another character, Matar, I think? I was going to say. Yeah. The way he returns as Captain Rogers. Yeah, he plays another character named Matar. Uh, He also does show up on Stargate Atlantis, and he was in the Dead Zone. Of course he was. But it gets better. Oh. His second in command, Captain Nelson. Mm Mm-hmm. Dion Johnson. Yeah. We will see him later as Lieutenant Tyler. Wait, the Lieutenant Tyler, the the fake? Yes. Oh, that's that's like some inception level stuff right there. And seven other characters on SG1. Yeah, but the fact that he also plays another fake SG yes, team member, yes. that's amazing. And was on the Dead Zone. <laughs> of course. We I had mean, two obviously. Dead Zoners. <laughs> On this episode. <laughs> I just sort of assumed they were all on the dead zone. Of this the only thing that could have made it better is, yeah, if, like, like the punk sergeant kid guy who was like, you're dead, you can't speak. If he had also been on the dead zone. But no, he he was not, he was not on the dead zone. He's not going to come back in SG-1, unlike our other two new people. Mm-hmm. And he will not be on Stargate Atlantis. He has, like, 130 credits to his name. So he's apparently been in literally everything else ever made. Except for... <laughs> As, like any more Stargate, the Dead Zone, or Seven Days. None of them were on Seven Days. That's a shame. Yeah, like the Seven Seven Days is like a hard to attain prize. Yeah, and it's always a delight when I see that someone has been on it. So, yeah, the seven, well, Seven Days. Honestly, I can't remember anything about Seven. I, I like I understand. I know what the premise of Seven Days. I remember watching the you showing me the premiere one time. 
just to like try to get me into seven days. I, I don't yeah. think it's, it didn't succeed because I don't remember anything about it. Uh, the only thing I remember is the guy that we just talked about a couple episodes ago. Mm-hmm. Oh no, we talked about him on Delta Flyer. Yes, that I remember that guy. Mm-hmm. That's all I remember about seven days. Yeah, I don't even remember that guy's name now. Doesn't matter anyway. <laughs> so after talking with Captain Rogers. Teal'c reveals himself as a Master Jaffa, here to challenge them. Uh-huh. They're very excited because it's been so long since they've last had a challenge. He tells them to get the Volcume. A big honkin' Apophis appears. Just a huge honkin' Apophis, Major. That's right. <laughs> and Teal'c and Jack go out to address the troops and to also try to convince them to stop whatever they're doing. Everything's fine. They can all go home. The war has been canceled due to rain. I don't know. I don't know what to do about talking about this episode. Yeah, I don't. Like, I love this episode, but I don't have a lot to say. And it's kind of sad. So I think that at this point, we've already have found out that SG-1's weapons were checked back into the armory and apparently checked back out accidentally. Well, not necessarily accidentally. Like, they, I mean, they, they were checked out deliberately. They, it's just in... Because they're not fake weapons, that's the problem. Since the Entar are so easy to identify, like, I feel like this was... Whoever was... Whoever in their group is playing Quartermaster Mm -hmm. is not doing their job. Because they should be inspecting all of the weapons when they get checked out and checked back in. You would think, yes. like, just pulling the mag would show that these bullets don't glow red and there isn't a glowy thing on the bottom. What's going on with these weapons? They're clearly defective or mm-hmm. cause I don't know if anyone other than Nelson and Rogers have ever seen a live earthen weapon. Mm. And since the Jaffa masters aren't there anymore, like maybe it used to be like the Jaffa masters who handed out the weapons and maybe they would have caught it. I don't know, but yeah, one way or another live weapons get put out into the field. We get to the, afternoon war game and where the you know and there's the live weapons sg1 is out there trying to track them down they find someone who's been killed by a staff weapon mm-hmm. roger says he's going to draw the guy's fire and apophis will protect him yeah because that works apophis does not protect him it doesn't work no no, no. like yeah. i thought you said you had seen this episode it doesn't <laughs> work man it does not apophis failed him or no he failed apophis he did fail apophis and now that Rogers is shot, that's first blood. Not the dead guy, like, four feet to Rogers left. That's not first blood. <sighs> Rogers is first blood. That that felt a little weird to me. Well, we don't care about the dead guy four feet to his left. He didn't have a name. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. And Rogers gets to tell us that, you know, it's now. Yeah, the final challenge. Because the dead guy is dead. He didn't get to, like, talk. Right. Rogers gets taken back to a medical tent. The, the SG team kind of cons them into thinking that, no, no, it's okay for us to take Rogers with us because we're going to take him to Apophis, who's going to, like, give him a high five and say, you're awesome and your people are awesome. Begin the final challenge. Mm. And everyone seems, like, really easy, like, like happy to go along with this. Disturbingly so. Like, especially after, like, how none of them bought even a little bit what Teal and Jacket told them earlier. They were all like, "No, no, no! I'm not going to fail your challenge again." Apophis is a god. Gods don't the gods don't die. I don't believe you. You can't fool us. We're going to continue with what we're doing. We won't be fooled again. 
They take him back to the SGC, and finally Hammond is there so he can come in along and save the day. When I was first watching this episode, I'd forgotten he goes back to the SGC. I had forgotten about Hammond saving the day. Like, I had forgotten that they go back to the SGC at any point. Yeah. And I was thinking, like, is it going to be a third episode in a row with no freaking Hammond? That would be sad. I mean, it's bad enough that we don't have Walter all the time. I was going to say, you know, we don't have Walter in this episode. I know we don't have Walter, okay? I know. It's sad. But, like, it'd be even worse if we had gone another episode without Hammond. Yes. And we do get a classic old Doc Frazier. (laughs) (laughs) As Jack begins the tuna torture. Mmm. Tuna. Because he can't resist a Simpsons reference. Dan Castellaneta will be on stargate in a later episode yes okay so where where are the kids getting their food i wondered where are they getting more intar bullets do intar need replacement bullets i don't know actually i don't know like i it wouldn't surprise me if they do something else and they use some sort of like battery cell or something but i mean like we see the bullets they're they they, they glow red that doesn't mean that they're actually bullets. They only look like bullets. Because I think what the thing we learned is the Intar can look like any weapon. Which is also sort of weird. Yes. And it would, feels like it would like make more sense. Like, yeah. I mean, I guess if it's, if it's basically just sort of like you just have like the jewel, like a trigger mechanism and a place for the intarness to shoot out and then you can just like craft any shape around it but why even have bullets in there at all and like why make them glow red mm. i don't know why not yeah like that's the thing that was throwing me off yeah. if you took apart an intar staff weapon would the little yellow glowy bit be like a little red glowy bit Ooh, i wonder because we never see him take apart a zat and we don't even see any intar zats and I... what even would an intar zat be if you took apart an intar staff weapon could you still use the red glowy bit to to power the Stargate? Ooh. Anyway, no, I'm guessing it would ha- not have a red glowy bit. I think, like, yeah, it, that was just, it's weird that the bullets are red. I think we can all agree on that. I think, I think that you could use the Intar red glowy bit to power the Stargate, but as soon as you walk through the other side, you're stunned. <laughs> okay. And the Stargate's, like, purpley. Mm-hmm. So we're in the SGC. Rogers eats the tuna fish sandwich, or half of it. Mm-hmm. Jack was stealing, taking care of the other half. And they decide to show Rogers the footage of Apophis dying. Sure. And he watches that, and he's just like, yep, I believe you now. <laughs> Which, like, on the one hand, it's like he he believes and agrees surprisingly fast. But on the other hand, it's like in Galaxy Quest, mm-hmm. where the... Um, the Thermians? Like, the Thermians have no concept of acting. Right. Historical documents. Right. You know, they, I mean, they have no concept of lying at all, but they also have like no concept of like pretending or acting or anything mm-hmm. like that. And so everything they see on the screen, they believe is completely and totally real. And mm-hmm. the same thing has to be true for Gould society. Huh. We never see, like, we, we will see the occasional entertainer in the occasional medieval village that SG-1 will visit occasionally. Mm-hmm. Like, there might be like a juggler there or something. Like, I, I'm sure that exists. Like, I just feel like it has to. Mm-hmm. But, the, like, the concept of, like, media in the first place that isn't God-controlled, let alone false media, like, that it has to be an idea that it never entered their brain. Like, as far as they're concerned, anything they see on something like that, a screen or a volcume or the, whatever the floaty ball is, 
Gould TV. Yeah, ooh, Gould TV. Right. You know, they expect that to be the truth. Yeah. So, like I said, like, on the one hand, it, it was weird that just like, yep, I definitely, under, like, I can definitely see the resemblance to my god. He definitely is dying. Okay. Yeah, but you'd have to think, yeah, the idea that it could be a trick should have entered their minds. Yeah, but I wonder if, I think that what could have been interesting is if he almost sort of, like, talked himself into it. If it was like, no, but surely this must be a trick. But how could it be a trick? Because it's right there. I can see it. Mm-hmm. I, th- I think that could have been good if there had just been like a little bit extra there where he tried to talk himself out of the idea that what he was seeing was real. Yes, I think that would have improved that whole thing. Yeah, and, and it also like could come back at the end as well because... So, you know, n- like not to like, let's not jump straight to the end because we have a little bit more that happens in this episode. Mm-hmm. The SG team sits down with Hammond and talk him around to the idea that they need to go back to try to stop the final challenge. Rogers asks to come along because they are his men. They all agree. They head to the planet. Uh, They decide to bring the Intars so they can shoot first and ask questions later. Good idea. We do have the Intars, General. What good will they do? We can shoot first and ask questions later. Yeah, it makes sense. Yeah, seriously. Like I said, like just carry these on every mission forever. Mm-hmm. Like, oh no, a civilian. Oh, never mind. Yeah, I mean, take your P ninety as well, or they're not using P ninety. Eventually, yet. yeah. Yes. Take your take your gun as well, but also have like a Intar sidearm or something. Right. Like like Intar should be their standard issue sidearm from now on. It would make sense. Goodness. Oh well. They're in the woods trying to get to the fake SG base. Mm-hmm. And Roger just runs out to draw fire. And Jack takes down the guy who's about to shoot Rogers. And then Jack lets loose on Rogers. A little bit. And then smacks him upside the head. Which was an interesting parallel back to the beginning of the episode when Rogers is getting up in Jack's face and he's like, you know, you are dead until 1400. Is that clear? <laughs> because apparently at some point someone had told him that uh, like American officers will sometimes scream. <laughs> yes. Like it's weird. Like the whole thing, like the four eyes thing, like the screaming bit, a couple other things they do. I feel like they didn't just learn that from SG one or SG 11 rather. Maybe SG 11 had like some army movie DVDs on them or something. Did DVDs exist? And in- they did, but it was probably VHS tapes. Yeah. Okay. But, like, why would they be carrying or books? training Maybe materials? one of those people had a And bunch. the book says at certain points you need to scream at people or call them four eyes? It was like the novelization of Full Metal Jacket or something. <laughs> they get to the fake base. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, it's a real base, but for fake people. Well, they're real they're people. They're real people. But they're the fake SG base. That's what I was trying to say. Rogers just sort of strolls out once they've secured their position. He's talking to the machine gun guard. He's like, I have glorious news. And SG-1 lights into everybody with the Intars. And the guard is just, like, standing there for, like, way longer than he should have. Mm-hmm. SG-1 secures the base. Sam and Teal'c go into the tent to rig up the volcume. The baddies start pouring in. They're getting they're getting Intarged down. Teal'c goes to ask Sam, how much longer is this going to take? And all we get is just like a long string of technobabble about matching frequencies or some such. I don't remember most of it. I kind of zoned out. 
There was, yeah, stuff. Did you notice that Teal'c was wearing face paint? Yes. Do you know why he was wearing face paint? No. Skin is shiny. Ah, yes it is. Yes. So, yeah. So the face paint is there for white people, or lighter complexioned people, Mm -hmm. to cut down the fact that they have a lighter complexion that can be easily spotted. Or more easily spotted, especially in light of the fact that everything else that they're wearing is going to be darker colors. Right. And then for darker complexion people, skin is shiny. Especially when you start sweating. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. Like, apparently you're supposed to, like, there's like a one method that I had read about, which is like you put like the darker colors on like your nose and cheeks and chin, and then lighter colors in other places. So places that ordinarily would be sort of like in shadow on your face, you put lighter color. And then places that were more prominent, you put darker color because mm-hmm. it breaks up the expected thing that a human like because humans are like human brains are great at identifying faces. That's why like and 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 familiar shapes is why you can look at clouds and see a bunny. Mm-hmm. But it's also really great at identifying faces. But if you break up the geometry of the face in like with the, with the face paint, all of a sudden it's like like I, I can't pick it out. So they finally rewired the volcum. Everyone comes down out of the war game, which seemed surprisingly easy, mm-hmm. especially because early in the episode, not everyone came down when the volume got fired because we find out that there are other people out there like already on like the next war game of the day. But in this case, everybody gathers around. Like, what's the deal? Who knows? Anyway, it switches to dying Apophis and all of the rest of them believe it just as quickly as Rogers did. Where do we go now? Home. And that was the episode. I mean, I like the way that ends with home. So all in all, I love this episode. I love this episode, too. I feel kind of bad that I didn't have a lot to say about it, but... And we do we do seemingly keep coming back to when we have a really great SG-1 episode that we love, we just have trouble kind of, like, fully putting into words the things that we love about it. Other than just saying, like, in broad strokes, it's like, everything was on point. Like... Like the like the the dialogue between our heroes, like an engaging story. Like I mean, once like once again, there is no B plot. There's very seldom a B plot on 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 SG one. You know, like there's there's just the one plot. Like you're you're just along for the ride. It's a good time. We see our heroes do their hero thing, and it's just great. And it's kind of hard to like expand on that for me. I feel like there are B plots on Atlantis. Sometimes, yeah. It's more common on Atlantis. Like, it's not a guarantee, but there are definitely episodes with B-plots. Yeah, whereas with Delta Flyer, I feel like every other episode at least has a B-plot oh, yeah. on Voyager. Like, it, it's more common to have a B-plot. That was that. A, just a standard thing of 90s Star Trek. What were you going to say? I was going to say, I was just going to tell our listeners about, uh, to show how much you and I love this episode, like, 10 freaking years ago when we were playing Guild Wars. No, this was like more than 10 years ago. Anyway, a long time ago when we were playing the original Guild Wars, Stuart and I made a guild that we named SGX after this episode. Yes. And like that was, that was a lot of fun for a while. In fact, because while watching this episode, I thought of that, I like pulled up Guild Wars and was able to log in again because I was able to remember the name of a character because you had to do that to log into Guild Wars. Um, 
And, yeah, that's always driven me bonkers. And I pulled it up, and there, I, there was my character wearing a cape with a pyramid on the back of it because he's part of the SGX guild. Right. <laughs> Man, I've I've not thought about Guild Wars in quite some time. Yeah, this is a short episode. It certainly, you know, did not take forever. Or a day. Or a day. But next episode will be forever in a day. In the meantime. Thanks for listening this week. If you enjoyed this, you should also check out our other podcast, Delta Flyer. You can find and review both podcasts on your podcast player of choice, and you can also reach us at our email address, stargateweekly at gmail.com. I'm at Gamicus on Twitter. And I am at Tyrannicus. And you can follow the show at Stargate Weekly. And that's our show. Yeah. Yeah.